Welcome to the podcast of Tony Mayo, the business owner's executive coach. This podcast is the audio from our free weekly webinar, Tuesdays with Tony at 12. You can see the video, download the slides and other materials at tiny.cc slash TWTony. That's T-I-N-Y dot C-C slash T-W-T-O-N-Y, all lowercase. And that's who my audience is. People who take charge, people who are in charge, people who are running organizations or running sections of organizations that just want to get stuff done. Well, I'm going to present to you today one of the most simple, powerful ideas for getting more stuff done. I will also give you some links to where you can download the PowerPoint presentation as well as a, a one-page poster, which could change your life. I had one client who put this poster up over her desk. One day she was speaking to an employee now doing some delegating, handing out an assignment, and she noticed the employee wasn't always making eye contact. This employee was looking over her shoulder. Well, she turned around and said, what is this person looking at? It was the chart that I'm about to share with you because the person was looking for the request. They want to make sure they got all the components of what Tony Mayo calls a powerful request so that they could be clear on what their next steps were. So let's get into that. What is the powerful request? Ah, I have a riddle to start you off from a, a great coach, Fred Kaufman. Riddle is, imagine five frogs sitting on a log. Four of the frogs decide to jump off. How many are left on the log? Well, five are still on the log because deciding is different than doing. As Fred put it, decisions are worthless unless you turn them into promises. When I facilitate meetings, particularly when I sit in on management meetings, executive teams, sometimes I work with them on a regular basis, on a uh, developmental basis, as we say in this business, that means I'm helping them have a better meeting today, but I'm also explaining to them what I'm doing, what my interventions mean, what their purposes are, so that they can run better meetings themselves later on. I spend much of my time in those meetings getting people clear about what action is going to be taken on the decisions they've made. I notice that when people discuss a topic and reach a consensus right about the time it's clear to everyone, and you probably know the feeling that we all agree we know what we should do about this, then we move on to the next topic. But decisions are worthless unless you turn them into promises. So I'm always telling people my magic words, which are who is going to do what by when? How do you do that? I'm talking about today powerful requests, not whines, not statements, somebody ought to do something, not this has got to change, no passive voice. Powerful, and I mean powerful not in a dominating sense, but powerful in the physics sense. Power includes movement. If it ain't moving, the power doesn't matter. How fast does it move over time? 
time is impl implied with that fast part. So making a powerful request, things that actually will happen that will change the world, what does it take? Well, Mind Mnemonic uses this triangle with three parts. And I'm gonna explain each part in perhaps excruciating detail. The idea isn't for you to carry all these details in your head, but for you to apply them to situations you've been in. In fact, one of the most effective ways to get value from today's presentation is to think about times you've wanted someone to do something and it just didn't get quite done. Or when people have asked you to do things and then were disappointed or even upset about the results what happened. So the powerful request works for everyone involved, not just the person making the request, but the person accepting the request has a greater chance of success if you make sure it follows what I'm calling here the canonical format of a powerful request. We've got these three parts. The request is made inside of a shared context. I'll say more about what that means in a moment. It has conditions of satisfaction. So you know when the request is satisfied, what conditions must be met for the requester to be satisfied with the result. And then finally, there is the response, and this is the most popular thing to leave off of a request, and that is to wait for a response, to get a very specific reply that lets you know whether this is likely to happen or not. So let's dig into all three of these aspects. But first, we need a little bit of fuel. <laughs> Thank goodness this plant was brought into Western society. Coffee, it's a good thing. <laughs> all right, so let's dig in, get some details behind my assertion that this is the way to make a request. The shared context, I've got an acronym to help you remember it, could be something aspirational, it could be simple authority, or it could be some sort of affinity. Let's start right at the top with aspiration. If we have a shared vision, a commitment, an outcome we all agree upon, that is a shared context. If we want to get from one side of the road to the other together, that's something we share. And if I make requests of you that you're convinced will make us achieve this goal, you're more likely to fulfill on those requests. Could be the values of the company. I'd like you to go about it this way because we share this company value of customer-centric. I'm gonna find the mute button so I can have a really good cough right now. Oh yeah, I'm sure we both feel better now. <laughs> All right, so that's the aspirational aspect of the shared context. So the person making the request, the person or persons accepting the request, that is making a promise, have this in common. It could be authority. Maybe you're in the military and there's a level of authority. People have insignia on their shoulders. That's what I'm pointing to, my non-existent imaginary epaulets here. It could be the boss of a company. It could be the leader of a family. It could be someone who is expert in a particular area. I'll tell you, although I get a fair amount of respect as the father in my family, if I'm in the water, I listen to my sons because they have a great deal of expertise 
on swimming, on life-saving, on pool safety and maintenance. Because of their expertise in that context, I grant them authority to make requests. Kick your feet, stop bending your knees so much, things like that. Just made that up, I'm, they've never said that to me that I've heard. And then finally, the third basis of our shared context inside of which a request can be made powerfully, and that is affinity. Maybe we just like each other. Maybe we just wanna be together. Now, if you say to someone, excuse me, would you pass the salt? Would you go to this event with, with me? Would you lend me your book? It's just because we're friends, it's because we like each other, we have some shared context. And inside the context of that, you can make requests. So those are our shared contexts. Now, all the time I'm going through these details, I don't want you to be memorizing them. I definitely don't want you to be critiquing them. What's useful, what's gonna make the biggest difference for you isn't finding what's wrong with this approach. It's thinking about the times you've made requests or a request that you're about to make saying, did I follow all of these steps? Did I include all the things that makes requests work? Was, if it was based on affinity, was the request too big for a casual acquaintance? Was it too big for a business uh, friendship? You know, we have to have the context to be big enough and strong enough for the character of the request we're making. Maybe our lines of authority weren't clear. Maybe the person didn't realize that uh, we were a partner in the firm because they're in a different office. I'm not saying to uh, swagger, to pressure people, but it's useful to point out what the shared context is. We have these shared values. Can we move forward on this request? Excuse me once again. I think the voice is back in gear. We'll find out in a moment. All right, so far so good. If not, just jump in and we'll clarify. Let's go on to the next step. The conditions of satisfaction. What's, what must be the conditions so that the person who made the request is satisfied that it has been fulfilled upon? These conditions may include who did it? When was it done? Was there a deadline? Is there a repeating cycle? Time is where we think and live, so let's include it in our conditions of satisfaction. And then of course, there's what has to be done. We'll go into that in a bit more detail. But remember, it's not a request if there's no who. And that was the flaw I mentioned earlier in many business meetings. Yes, we ought to do this, that ought to happen. Well. The, the group dissipation of responsibility or the passive voice is not gonna get it done. Bill McGowan, the very effective founder leader of the MCI telecom company, used to say that every uh, business activity should have a butt connected to it that can be kicked if necessary. Well, I don't wanna be that severe about it, but the idea is we need a who and we need a when. These are the magic words, by when, by when. When I teach this to a group of business people, generally someone just from their own personality becomes the by when cop, 
They're the ones whenever they see in a meeting that people are agreeing to some action, but there's no time in it. They say, by when, by when. And you notice, I notice when I start pressing people on the by whens, suddenly they get a little itchy. You know, they, they need to move on to the next topic. Maybe they need to run to the bathroom. Maybe they check something else. The when makes it so real. And that's okay, because it's a real request. All right, that's the who, that's the when. Let's talk some more about the what. The what needs to be something that you can evaluate later on. Oh, welcome, Julie. Thanks for coming by. Hi. <laughs> Feel free to, to jump in at any time. Any, any questions or concerns that you have about uh, what I'm describing? So the what of the request, quantifiable. Put some numbers on it, some quantity. Now, when you send someone to get paper, how much paper do you need? Do you need a few sheets? Do you need a ream? Do you need a shipment? Quantify it. They can't read your mind. One of the rules my wife and I developed early in our marriage that we try to adhere to, and I encourage people to use it at the office as well, is no unexpressed expectations. We have to make it clear what we expect from people. The great sales trainer, Dave Sandler, put it a different way. He says, you can't get angry with people for doing things you didn't ask them not to do. A lot of negatives in there, but you get the idea. Let's be clear. Let's have measurements. Let's have ways so everyone knows what is going on. And that's the objective part. Objective means the answer is out there in the object. It's not subjective in here. It's not my subjective opinion of doing a good job, it's an objective measurement of what is a good job. It's 500 sheets wrapped tightly, protected from the elements, in good shape. That's the objective kind of ream of paper that we need for this request. And finally, it needs to be observable, not inside somebody's head, not in their intentions, not mysteriously in a different location. We need a way to check that quantity, to make sure the objective standards have been met. That's what we talk about when we say the what. Is it quantifiable? Is it observable? Is it objective? Again, these are not things you're always gonna go down in a list for, but if a request is important, you might wanna look at the list. Or if a request is perennially not getting fulfilled, take a look at just how well, you're laying out who is going to do what by when. And for that what, is it quantifiable? Is it objective outside of my head? Is it observable so that other people can check these standards or conditions of satisfaction? Now we're gonna get into, sorry, the most complex and intricate aspect of this powerful request. But it is also a very useful, workable aspect of it. All right, so we're going to uh, move on to the responses. And I've just lost focus. There we go. As I said, my observation is this is most often skipped over, obscured, done in a fuzzy or non-existent way in business requests. Getting a response. Silent assent is not a response. I wanna get a real response. Okay, 
So there are three possible responses. Now they take different forms, of course, use different language, but they can put, be put into these three categories. And as often when I'm talking about these distinctions, the, the categories are what help us understand it better. We get some certain ground rules for it. So uh, the, the first response we might run into is to uh, decline. No, I'm not gonna do that, forget about it, it's over, it's done, we're not gonna happen. Hey, the ability, particularly within an organization, to have people decline requests is crucial for productivity. That may seem a little counterintuitive. How can declining requests be crucial for productivity? When it's saying no to things reduce productivity? No. It makes things visible, brings it up where you can deal with it. We've all had the situation at home, this is a classic with teenagers, and at the office, we ask someone to do something, but you know, it's not a request. I shouldn't use the word ask. We tell someone to do something, and then it doesn't happen. Why? Well, we don't know. We're not having the conversation. But often it's because the person knows they can't do it. In fact, in business, sometimes the person says yes, because they can't say no. And this leads to a lot of problems. Years ago, when I was in a computer systems development business, there was a fellow who did a lot of research on how to budget for technology projects. He looked at real budgets, real projects, actual expenditures, and did some comparisons and found a very simple rule of thumb. It turned out that computer systems development projects on a consistent basis took about twice the time and resources that were estimated. He thought, this is great. We're much better at estimating projects than we thought. We'll just take the estimates and we'll double them. Then we'll know how long they'll take and what they'll cost. Well, he brought this brilliant insight from his hard, hard statistics to the managers and directors in a very large systems development situation. And what did they say? They said, no, no, no. You don't need to double our estimates. What's actually happening is we are making very accurate estimates and management is cutting them in half. That's why we're always over budget. Imagine you're in an environment where everything takes longer than expected. It costs more than expected. How do you plan? How do you organize? How do you know which things to do and which things not to do? And that's the situation in many systems development environments, in many businesses in general. And what's the problem? People can't say no. They can't say, no, I can't get it done for that. They take the half budget, they get started, knowing that it'll get extended if people really, really want it. It's chaos, it's upsetting. And at least the things that we in the systems development business used to call death marches, projects you knew couldn't be delivered on time. Well, what's the answer? When you're in an environment where uh, people can't say no, well, how about this uh, interim idea? The one right at the top of that red triangle, the counter offer. I can't do it by Thursday, but I can do it by Monday. Would that work for you? So we're allowing the person who's receiving the request, not just to say yes or no, but to collaborate with us, to work with us and say, I can't do that, but I could do this. Or I could do that, 
but this other request we have outstanding, I may not have to renegotiate that one. So negotiating counter-offering, it creates a teamwork, cooperative atmosphere where people are encouraged to surface the problems, the issues. And that's something that you may have learned from my progress report firm format. If you haven't seen my progress report, just head over to the blog and Google progress report. And there's a, a neat little article on how to implement that. All right. So we've got three possible responses to a powerful request. One is no, ain't going to happen. Not going to do it. Then you can deal with that. Another is not going to do that, but I could do this. How about that? back and forth till we come up with a request that we can. And here's the third possible response. I accept your request. That is a promise. And it's a good promise because we've gotten all the issues on top. My concerns, your considerations, what you're trying to accomplish. We're clear on the conditions of satisfaction. We know what we're going to do by whom and when. But we're not done yet. We've all been in a situation where someone has sincerely and with good knowledge and intentions accepted our request, but then it still doesn't quite work out. What about that? Well, an acceptance can lead to three possible things. And I'm getting a little orange message up here. What is that about? I don't know. It says chat. I'm in the chat window. Or someone can ignore a request. Uh, that does happen. But again, as a requester, we're trying to be powerful. And doing that, we, we notice when someone is ignoring something, we want to stick with it. We demand a response. No response, no request. We're not done. We can't expect anything to happen. So ignoring request is allowed. Because as a requester, we're not going to let that happen. All right. So if the person accepts a request, what happens? Well, ideally, at the end, we can declare it complete, but we'll get to more on that. The person could renege, and this is a very useful thing. This is not a moral problem because we're communicating. My rule for integrity is, and I adopted it from Werner Earhart and other great coaches, who say that the foundation of integrity, maybe we'll have a whole webinar on integrity, integrity is doing what you say you're going to do when you said you were going to do it in the manner in which it's expected. That's the uh, condition of satisfaction. Or as soon as we know we're not going to fulfill the request, we communicate and deal with the results. We don't withdraw, which is another possibility. It's a very popular one in corporate America. Just try to avoid people. Uh, but it's much more powerful to go and renege, saying, you know what, I'm not gonna get that done. What should we do now? Talking about the future. And again, I have a podcast and a blog post about what to do when uh, people don't get their work done. How do you as a requester or a boss respond when they're not getting their work done? The key is, I don't wanna talk about what happened. That's in the past, I got no power there. I wanna talk about what you're gonna do about it. What's next, what's next? That's what's going on with the renege. I can't do that after all. I had an experience with this soon after learning it. I was a salesperson. My manager came back from a conference with a bunch, with a bunch of what we used to call bingo cards. They're the little cards that sometimes you mail them in and sometimes you hand them in, which is your name address. And what products are you interested in from us? And they check off a few boxes. 
Well, these bingo cards, as we call them, had a reputation of being worthless. You call the people, most of them you never get hold of, and the ones you do just filled out the card to get whatever tchotchke was being handed out in the booth. So I had a stack of these cards, I accepted them, and I didn't do anything with them because I knew it was a low yield activity. And for days and days, maybe weeks, I'm not sure I want to admit to that, I avoided my boss because I didn't want him to follow up on my accepting his request to uh, call the people on the bingo cards. I changed my path to the restroom. I avoided sending faxes because that would put me past his office. I was trying to avoid Bill for quite a while. And finally, I realized that's ridiculous. We're adults. Let's deal with it. I walked in. I said, Bill, you gave me these cards to follow up on and I took them. But you know, we've done this before. None of these are going to yield anything but wasted time and phone messages. I don't want to do it. He says, you're right. They're a waste of time. I just handed them to you to get them off my desk. Let's throw them away. That was a renege, but it was done with integrity because we were open and above board about what we knew, what we wanted, what we were capable of. All right. So don't disappear like I did for a couple of weeks. Get in there and renege. Or our third possibility as the person who's made the promise, I could declare complete. I could say it is now done. That alone is a powerful practice to put in at your business, is to have people come back when they finish something, because it clears up that mental space of all this stuff that you think is being done out there, but you don't know if it's being done, you don't know if it's complete, you don't know how it's going. You might be using the progress report form I used, I talked about earlier, but just letting people know it's complete. The most common email I get from my assistant, and I like it every time, is four letters, D-O-N-E. She's telling me that task is done. She's replying to the email with the request saying done. And it just relaxes me a little bit. Every time I get one, it's okay, that's handled. Now, not every uh, person is as reliable as my assistant. So when they tell you something's done, there may be another step necessary. It might not be good enough. It might not meet those conditions of satisfaction. Well, again, a common response of weak managers when they find out that it's been declared complete, but it isn't by my standards, they just reject the work and withdraw from the conversation. Maybe find someone else to do it or the real trap of the entrepreneur, they just decide to do it themselves. No, your job isn't to do it yourself. Your job as an entrepreneur is to get it done. And you want to get it done with other people so that you can get more things done and grow your organization. So don't fall at the bottom with a reject and withdraw. Go back with a reject and a fresh request, either of that person or of someone else. Let's again negotiate, get the facts out there. You notice that much of what I'm saying today cooks down to one thing. That's what I say every day when I work with clients or when I'm doing these webinars. And what I'm saying is have a conversation. Talk to the people involved. Tell them your impression of the situation. Tell them the constraints you see. Explain the opportunities you see and come to some consensus. If you consistently can't show your cards and come to consensus with the people you work with, get the hell out of there. What good is being in a place like that where you have to hide and pretend? 
or if they're not being honest with you. Some things just aren't worth it. Work in an environment of integrity. All right, we're not gonna reject the results and just pull out of the conversation. We might reject the results and make a fresh new request. Or the other alternative, just declare it complete. I accept that it is now complete. And that is what you see now, our model of the conversations. Powerful request requires a shared context. That context could be clear lines of authority. It could be something aspirational like a vision or an intention or a commitment. It could just be an affinity, friendship, love, uh, just a desire to be nice to people. It requires a response. You've got to get that very clear, explicit, stated response. A lot of good responses. They could say no. They could say no, but I could try this. Or they could just say yes, I'll do it. I'll do this particular thing by a particular time in a particular way. But even after I accept, things change. I learn more. Other demands are made. I might need to renege, go back, negotiate, create a new request that people can be comfortable with. I don't want to just withdraw and disappear because there's no fun working with people who try to hide. I know. I've tried it from both ends as the hider and the hidey. <laughs> Okay, and even when I declare that the request is complete, uh, it may not be. It may not uh, satisfy the requester. So rather than withdrawing, they can say, that's not good enough, let's try something else. Or finally, you could accept it. Some other ways to cook this down or to pull away some key insights is the magic words. What and by when? What do I want? By when do I want it? What? is he requesting? By when does he want it? If you know the what and by when, you're a long way there. I would also add who. Now there's a sequence to this, and this is more of a sequence to conversations in general that we can get to more detail at another time. But for now, get people's attention. Another step often skipped in many conversations. It could be as simple as, I'd like to have a conversation with you about a project is this a good time? When would be a good time? You notice that's a request too. Is this a good time? No. How about a counteroffer? Okay. The requests start showing up everywhere once you start applying this distinction. There's the background of obviousness. Now, this is a technical term. We could talk about it in more detail if you're curious, but the idea is there are things that are obvious to you and the people that you're comfortable with interacting with Many of those things are obvious to them as well. You can just assume it. You, know, you walk into a, a hospital or a military environment or a school, and there are lots of behaviors from the people who are familiar with that environment that you don't know what those behaviors are. Well, those things are obvious to the others. Well, be aware of the background of obviousness to make sure what's obvious to you that's relevant to this request is also known and accepted by the other person. You make the request, you accept the promise. Another very powerful thing is the read back, report back. This is something I took from the military when I was a pilot, not in the military, civilian pilot. Also, read back, report back is something you can see more of on my blog. But the simple version is someone makes a request of me, I repeat back what they said. I love this as a boss. I make a request of someone, they repeat it back, and I realize that's not quite what I want. 
sometimes because they're not recreating it, reporting it back accurately. But more often, and I admit this, when I hear someone else describe the request, the project, the outcome I've asked for, I realize it's not really what I wanted. I'm thinking while they're talking, so I can adjust that. Another powerful aspect of the report back, of, of the readback. Uh, I check it for accuracy, but I also can check it for whether it's what I actually want. Later on is a report back, we talked about this earlier, which is it's done or it's not gonna get done, I'll do this instead. So read back, report back. I had one client say this completely changed his life. Just adding these two steps to every request, every project. So we've got the magic words, what and by when, we've got the sequence, and we've got this uh, a large model. So there it is, it's all laid out for you. And I'll, I'll, you can go to our, our usual links, tonymayo.com, Tuesdays with Tony, and you can, I'll have these up there within a few days so that you can download them and see them. So uh, let's find out uh, what's on people's minds. Any questions you have, any concerns, what would you uh, like to explore further with this model of requests? And I'll wait about a minute, and if no one wants to jump in with a question, I'll just wrap up. Hi, Tony, it's Terry. Hi, Terry. Oh, good. The audio works. This is like high tech for me. I'm glad to bring you into the 21st century. Well, the bank equipment is usually 100 years behind the rest of the world. <laughs> I should also warn you that your video works. I have a nice view of your keyboard. Oh, how is that? <laughs> yeah, your laptop must have the cover down or something. The camera's pointing at the keyboard. <laughs> uh, see, uh, you know what? I had it. Uh, I see where I am. You're on the wrong way, buddy. <laughs> That's okay. I, I, I'm just picturing you as you looked when you were 18. We were in high school together. I'll leave the keyboard there so I don't lose everything. <laughs> sure. An interesting uh, presentation, and I'd say it's a lot of things you know, but you need refreshing on, and I made some notes and all. But I'm kind of stuck on your top triangle there, right at the, at the apex. And the three different uh, categories were aspiration, affinity, and authority. So I find a lot of times when you're working in a company like this, you're not dealing with affinity. Um, maybe you have shared aspiration, but most of the time it's in an authoritative position where you're asking for things. So my question is, uh, do we deal with millennials or younger workers, colleagues differently than we deal with people, say our old age, the beginning of the career or the end of the career? Have you seen any, difference in that any advice on you know how to talk to kids as opposed to you know somebody that's been through it uh, that's a great question terry i'm so glad you brought that up because i never haven't made this connection up until now but what i'm hearing over and again in my experience is that people of a certain age partly because of the era we grew up in uh, but also because of our work experience we're very clear about lines of authority we respect them if, and we tend to defer to that. If someone in authority uh, makes a request of us, we do our best to accept it. But the millennials, and I don't think this is a defect. I think this is a feature. They want to be at the top of that triangle. They want the aspirational. They want to know why it matters. They want to know why it's important to them. 
uh, how it's uh, part of the shared commitment of the organization. Uh, so yes, uh, I think just drawing on authority is not enough for the people who are entering the workforce today. They need to know the whys and why it matters. Aspirational. And the key is shared context. If you're using authority and you're not getting the response you want, look around, what else could it be? And uh, aspirational is extremely powerful. That's why I put it at the top. I mean, that's how we get people to, to march into machine gun fire. That's how we get people uh, to demonstrate in the streets. That's how people do big, risky things. It's on the aspirational, not just on uh, authority. Uh, and to some degree, affinity. Affinity is a big factor in combat as well, from what I hear. Is that helpful, Terry? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, thank you. And I, I think, and I do see that with the kids. And I call the, the people out of school the, the kids that I'm trying to work with uh, here in Mary. So you know what that is? That's my my new stand-up desk. Good for you. I just had to get up because my back had been bothering me, and it uh, it makes a lot of difference. So thank you. But um, so that's the first half: getting the kids, you know, to buy into the culture. What we call at SunTrust Bank, we have a flag. And the flag has all of our uh, values. Good. That's the first thing. But my question that I put up on the chat was about um, people who ignore the question. And I get that more from the older folks who I guess my, my kids taught me about this. It's passive aggressive. They just don't want to get into the discussion. So I have it at the two ends. One where we need to bring the kids along. And two, where some of the older folks have just been tired of it for many years, so they kind of blow you off. Yes. Uh, it reminds me of a story of a, a professor talking about the language. And he said that the, the double negative uh, is sometimes misinterpreted. For instance, in Russian, double negatives just mean emphasizing the negative, where we take a more mathematical approach, two negatives uh, mean a positive. And at the end of this conversation, now we don't have uh, any problems with a, a double positive. It's only the double negative. And one of the students said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and there are those cases uh, where the double positive means it ain't going to happen. I mentioned this to a friend of mine who's a captain in the Navy. And he said, our version is, aye, aye, sir. So when the, <laughs> so when the, uh, the new officer makes a stupid order to a, a petty officer, he'll say, aye, aye, sir. And the savvy officer will say, okay, I think there's something missing here. So we have to look out for those uh, faults, yeses. And, and again, and it's a big part of all my uh, teaching and my work, which is to not accept these things at face value, to create an atmosphere where you can explore people's motivations and what they're really going to do. You have to have some room for people to have complaints, to have other concerns. It's not a, uh, a military battle situation where we can get instant uh, compliance. No, the workplace requires much more negotiation and understanding. And we're going to be disappointed otherwise. For sure. All right, good, thanks. All right, Terry. Well, very good, everyone. Thanks for being here today. And I'll, I'll put a recording up of this along with some links to materials. Uh, next week's uh, a holiday. You might think it's Independence Day, but no, it's just a birthday in the family. So the third, I'm going to be skipping the, the webinar and we'll be back after that. All right. Be good. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Nice to see you. Bye, Terry. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. More coaching like this is available at TonyMayo.com. That URL is T-O-N-Y-M-A-Y-O 
www.thepodcastcollective.com. We appreciate your comments, suggestions for future topics, and most of all, stories of how you applied the coaching. Our email address is podcast at mayogenuine.com. This podcast is the property of executive coach Tony Mayo, all rights reserved worldwide.